Welcome to episode one of Society 2.0. I'm really excited to finally get this podcast off the ground. It's been a work in progress for quite some time. This is going to be a weekly discussion where I sit down with really interesting people and we talk about technologies like AI, automation, and robotics, really just technology in general and how it might affect how we shop, our jobs in the future, education, medicine, law, just about every topic that's out there because honestly, technology is pretty ubiquitous and it's going to continue to grow. And you're going to hear a lot of times that I'll focus on education because I really do believe that our education system needs to be revamped in order to produce the workers of tomorrow, I guess you can call it, how we can adapt and thrive in a world where technology is going to play such a heavy role in everything we do. I am of the belief that there will be jobs lost because of AI, but I also believe there will be an enormous amount of jobs created. What that ratio will be, I think it's anybody's guess right now. I've seen studies that are all over the map, but this podcast is being created so we can create a dialogue about that. So we can start thinking about what we need to do. You know, if you have children like I do, it's especially important to figure out how do we position them to be successful in the future? And that's really what this is about. So I really look forward to your feedback and any ideas you might have on topics or people you think might be interesting to speak with. I'll reach out to just about anyone. But for now, let's just get started and kick off our first interview. So everyone, today we've got Bart Butler with us today. He's a CIO, multi-board advisor, and an all-around futurist. Welcome, Bart. Hey, thanks, Bob. Great to be here. I think by all-around futurist, what Bob really means is I know how to drive a car, <laughs> uh, which is a great thing. Uh, no, it's great to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Bart, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background and why you're such an interesting person to speak with. Well, again, I'm not sure that that's true, but you're a very flattering host. I'll tell you what, I, I've been in the technology business for over 30 years. I started as a developer, actually as, a, as an analyst, and great times. Still look back on that with great fond memories. And that was with punch cards, right? I'm, I'm assuming. That, it was indeed. Thank you <laughs> so much for that. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was actually on Vax Pascal, believe it or not, when I first started in the professional world at Pioneer Hybrid, which is now a subsidiary of, of DuPont, and we're in the agricultural business built one of the biggest distributed systems that we ever worked on when it was not very distributed world. Then I went to Disney World for just a little over 16 years and worked in, it feels like, Bob, that I had probably 10 different careers during the 16 years at, at Disney. And for the last four, almost five now, have been with European Wax Center, to your point, been their CIO day to day and have now transitioned into a oversight board member, which is really interesting and has been just a, a fantastic career. Yeah. And full disclosure to everyone, Bart and I worked together for many, many years, both at Disney and at European Wax. So we've known each other for quite some time. So you'll you'll probably hear a little banter back and forth. Well, well over a decade now, I'd say, Bob. Yeah, probably no, it's almost close to 15 years. And that just shows how old that Bob is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bart is the uh, younger brother I wish I never had, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so really wanted to pick your brain and, and not in a Hannibal Lecter sort of way, but just pick your brain on where you think technologies like AI and AR and, and virtual reality are, are taking business and how, you know, how it's going to transform the landscape and based on your experience at Disney, based on some of the futurist stuff that you're doing and your, and your time at European Wax, I guess overall, like what impact do you think those technologies are going to have in the next 20 years? And especially when it comes to like strategic planning for businesses and how they position themselves. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. It's funny that Bob said that we obviously have worked together for a very long time and do have good banter. He could probably answer these questions as much as, as asked them of me. But I'll tell you something that I see looking kind of using history as, as our guide, Bob, and to look forward. I do think that a lot of people are very scared of AI. I just actually had a couple of conversations last week about that, and I don't think anyone needs to be. And I use the military as, as an example. You know, Everybody talked about, oh my goodness, when, when drone technology comes out, that, that they're going to cut back in the military and cut back on military spending. But you, you, you still need people to oversee and manage this. It's, it's, it's been a constant throughout any industry you want to talk about. 
forget about technology for a second. And I think that is such an important thing for everybody to think about and say, you know, we should embrace artificial intelligence or, you know, computer thinking, however you want to put it. it. It just it needs to be part of who we're going to become. And as you and I have talked many times, I really don't think virtual reality is as big of a deal as people have made it out to be. But I think augmented reality is is really the game changer when it comes to industry, when it comes to business. I, I think augmented reality, when it comes to life, is going to grow and become the most prevalent part of what computing is today. And, and again, I'll, I'll wrap up here quickly, but talking about that's what people will need to manage. They will need to manage augmented reality. So it's not going to be less jobs or even less people. I think it's more and just in a very different way, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think if we break those different fields out or different areas out, I, I think VR is probably going to be, it's going to take the biggest role in obviously gaming, most likely in the sex or porn industries. And then it might actually have a big role in design. I, I could see that being a great tool for, you know, if you're going to do office design or building design where you could show your clients what it could look like. And, and they could be in a virtual space and then get a better feel for, okay, I'm going to put this here, put that there, change the wall colors, and you could kind of get a feel for things. I think that would be a pretty powerful tool. But overall, I think it's not going to be as much of a, a commercial play from a day-to-day perspective. It's, it's not going to be like the Alexas or the Google Homes. Totally, totally agree. First off, again, I, I have to go back to, did you just say porn industry? You I did. Got a little weird, you got I a little did. weird there on me, Bobby. Well, I, uh, I figured I'd okay. get weird within the first five minutes, and then we'll see where it goes. Fantastic. So so now we can't get more awkward, I guess. But I, I, Oh, oh and, we and, can. We can. Okay, okay. We probably won't go there, but we could. <laughs> But but it's funny that you say that because I agree because, you know, some, that industry has been very cutting edge and probably you're very right. But I totally agree with where you're going with that. Of I think from a commercial perspective, you're going to see those pieces of, of VR. Again, I think augmented reality from the point I was trying to make and probably made it awkwardly is that I think it's going to be not just from a retail perspective, but from a a life perspective. I've used this analogy, and again, you've heard these probably too many times, these stories, but you know, my daughter, when she uses her phone, I used to always say, oh, you know, we can't have phone time at the dinner table before she went off to college. And then I started realizing that that was her unleashing her world. And that's why I think augmented reality is is really the bigger play because I do think it is using that device that's in your hand or whatever it becomes, this ethereal computing idea will be the bigger play. No, I agree. I mean, are there any other big trends that you are seeing out there that maybe something, even the time that we work together, that we haven't thought of or just recently have come to light from your side? Yeah, I, I actually just used the term, and I, I don't know, you might be able to tell me if this is something that's industry-wide, but I, I think the biggest thing that people haven't created yet, forget about paper-type computer or something that's foldable or whatever, I think that ethereal computing where it is truly... I don't need a device to be connected to the rest of the world. I think that's probably one of the biggest things that's really yet to be tapped into. And the funny part is it's so untapped that I believe that in the next three to, I'm going to go at most seven, Bob, years, that this is going to become the biggest thing that people start talking about of what is ethereal computing? How is it that it's all around us and pervasive? no matter what, and without device. Yeah, it's it's kind of something that Elon Musk has tapped into a couple of times about building the, the neural network, but from a human-to-human connection standpoint, where maybe we could embed a chip and we're instantly connected across, across the globe and, and within communities where there's no need for a device, like you said. And I'm, I'm kind of of the mindset that AI is going to take more of the route at some point, well, we're going to be more augmented as humans than we are going to have truly human-like machines. I think obviously we're, we experiment with that, but I think at some point as medical technology advances and we find ways to, to safely embed chips, that that would give us those superpowers, so to speak. You know, you could see better, you could hear better, you could research better, think faster. Again, it sounds futuristic, but, I mean, companies now are already embedding chips. I, I just recently read about a company in England that is thinking about embedding chips in people's 
hands for multiple reasons. One is they have top secret documents and they want to make sure only certain people get to see them, but you can start your car, get into a building. And there's people really scared about that. You know, now you can track your employees, you know, and figure out what they're doing, where they are. And you basically eliminate any sense of privacy. So it can get pretty scary, but I think, I mean, what's your take on, I mean, you obviously have a daughter in college and I have two youngsters, but it seems like the younger generation is much less fearful of privacy issues than us. I mean, we're obviously the, I'll call us the first generation phone and internet folks, but do you feel the same way that younger people seem to be less concerned about privacy than, than our generation? Yeah, I, I, first and foremost, again, I totally agree that I think we are the, the, the first generation. We're the pioneers of, of this, and I'm not saying that with any with any false pride. I think that we are the ones who have first and foremost embraced this even more than our parents did. But certainly, I think that our kids, you know, Bob, yours are a couple of years younger than mine, but we're all pretty close, that they don't have that because they've never been afraid of it right? They've never had a life where they didn't know that someone was watching them. And to use kind of a, maybe it's a poor example, and maybe it's really not. If you think about crime, right? And it used to be that there was so many things that had to be brought up in a courtroom. Now, when any type of crime or abduction happens, you know, there's cameras in Target's parking lots and Walmart's parking lots and on my door right now, right? With my ring that I, we see everything that happens. And our kids, for the last, my daughter's 18 and has never known a year of her life where that wasn't the case. And that's why they don't have any fear of it. And I think we can learn from them a lot of saying, you know what, how, why would we be afraid of this? Because it can really, like, I, again, that's where I, I don't think it's a poor example. You can tell me if it is, but you know, I think it's a great thing that abductions are so much quicker to be taken care of because that technology is so pervasive. We might be afraid of that to your, I think, question. Our, our kids are not, and they shouldn't be because it's a great thing. Yeah. And, and I, I think there'll be generations at least of debating the legal aspects of the privacy issues and the monolithic power that companies like a Google or an Apple have in, in terms of data and what that means and how we can be manipulated. I mean, manipulation has been happening for years just through marketing in general, but it, it gets much more specific with the amounts of data that they have on us. But I venture to guess there's going to be a lot of the lawmakers of the future will have to be very concerned about AI and artificial intelligence in general being able to separate or at least set up new laws that we never had to think about before because of, of the data that's out there and the potential misuse. I can't think off the top of my head of specific instances of it, but I'm sure that there's going to be challenges in the future in the courts about what AI, as it gets more intelligent, what impact it could have on our lives in terms of privacy. I mean, I mean I'm not getting to the Skynet level, but it's just, <laughs> I, I can just, you know, there are things you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a job in social media because it really didn't exist. So like, what are those things that don't exist yet that are going to have a huge impact on our lives? You know, we don't even know. Like, how do we sit back and think about that? What are the laws? What, what if, like, I mean, this is, this is really projecting, but what if we create an AI that, can, that is sentient? It recognizes itself. And then what are the implications of that? Well, I, I, I don't think that's crazy, which I know you probably would never hear from me, but I, I, I agree with that. And I think that when you look at AI, again, a historical look at this, do you know what? We, Bob, to your point, we've never really had the privacy that we think that we've had. And that goes back to even a little bit before your or my time, but certainly within our parents' time frame of you know the Nixon scandal and, and Watergate and how pervasive it was to be able to record and listen to people. And even the president at the time, right, in the 1970s of the United States, didn't have true privacy. So the fact is that AI could become sentient. And again, this might be a little bit of a stretch for us here, but if AI were prevalent back in the 1970s when Watergate was happening, would it have tried to erase itself? Would it have tried to correct itself? And I think that's really to your point where you're going with this of that could be the, the, the sentient being that, that gets created next in the ethereal world. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't think that's something that you and I will have to worry about in our lifetimes with the, 
sentient part of AI. But what I am concerned with, and, and, and it's already, we're already at that point. So where AI is so sophisticated that they're able to make videos and voiceovers look so seamless, like that the whole concept of fake news, it's going to be harder and harder to tell what is real and what isn't. And that's where I think AI can become really powerful in manipulating us as a society because really clever people will figure out ways to create scandals, essentially, that will basically be hard to tell the difference. And it will become a he said, the AI said (laughs) type of thing (laughs) where, you know, you'll say, oh, no, I have a video, I have audio, and you won't be able to tell the difference because they're able to piece together all of someone's I mean, look at all of, if you just think about all of the recordings we have of politicians, a sophisticated AI could potentially, you know, learn from all of the different ways someone spoke and create a whole, a whole speech off of that. Absolutely. And you would never know Absolutely. the difference. And yeah, and so that's going to be harder, you know, how they verify photographs with UFO sightings and such, and they can tell, oh, this photograph's been manipulated. But I, I venture to guess at some point, it's going to be harder and harder to tell the difference. I, I think you're right. But, but first off, I have to, you know, do something that Miss Manners would tell me is, is incorrect. And that's ask a, a question back to a question. But you really don't think that's going to happen in our lifetimes? I mean, uh, the, I, I, the sentient part, I think that the technology is growing faster and faster. But, you know, to really create a, a thinking being that recognizes itself and, and doesn't need, I mean, because at some point you, you look at it, and, and this is the tough definition. If I can turn it off, is it really real? Like, I, it, it can't survive without me, and therefore, it, it's not... Well, I, I guess there's two lines there. So one is, I can turn it off, but what are the ethics of me turning it off? Because now right. it knows itself. That's right. That's so right. now there's... And that goes into a whole other arena. Like, what are the ethical implica- implications of AI? I mean, we're looking at... I mean, we've all had Alexa and, and Siri and Google Home and all that stuff, but those things are, I'll call them like version one of AI. Years to come, we'll look back and go, oh, wow, that was, that was the basics. I mean, we were really at the beginning. That was the iPhone 1, you know, and we'll kind of laugh. And I, and I work with Alexa all the time, and I see how it's becoming much more sophisticated, having better dialogue. But to get to the point where it's, it's self-aware, I just think that, that we're really far off. And I honestly think that that's where we're going to ev- eventually, technology and, the, and, and medical technology specifically will advance so much that we'll start looking more at enhancing humans than we will creating a sentient being. I think that's where we're just going to diverge. I mean, extremely, I'm, extremely thought-provoking, Bob. I'll tell you one thing that comes to mind, of course, which is a famous quote of, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. Is, oh, he, is you know what? He died. Out. He just recently died, by the way, the voice of Hal. Did he really? Yeah, I think oh, it was either yesterday or over the weekend. He, he recently died. I had no idea that that's new news to me, but you know what? I, I think when you think about that movie and the way it changed our lives, and, and I wrote a paper in sixth grade, which I'm really proud of. I should. They find had it. pencils back then. Wow, hurtful, hurtful. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a good. It, really, it was about where cell phone technology was going to go. Right, it, it wasn't even a thing. People didn't have car phones, and I started talking about how everyone was going to be assigned to a number. And so the fact is, when I, when I wrote that, I thought, and, and pardon me if this isn't right for the podcast, but I thought, well, this is bullshit because it's not going to happen. But it did, right? We all are assigned to a number and to our identities. So I just I got to disagree with you on this a little bit, buddy, of that I think that, that what you're talking about, that sentient technology is, is not only within our lifetime. I'll go back to what I said before, Bob. I think it might be within a decade. I really do. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, hopefully we'll have 30, 40 more years, at least on this planet, and maybe more with medical technology, but you could be right. That part really scares me, that we could create a sentient being, because then it becomes, we're essentially creating uh, like data from Star Trek, and that just opens up a whole other can of worms with in terms of ethics, and I don't even know where to start. I mean, that that would be absolutely insanely challenging as a society. We already have issues with getting along with each other. I can't imagine what it's going to be like if now we've created this whole new race of AI that that can exist outside of us, although it could be turned off, going back to the ethics question. But 
what is it? What would it mean? You know, <laughs> that that's just I'm, crazy. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the script on you here a little bit. So first off, to everyone who ever has to unfortunately hear this podcast, <laughs> on behalf of my my cohort and myself, I apologize because this could go on for like six years. Okay, this is a huge conversation. But all joking aside, Bob, I'm I really am gonna go. I'm gonna take it in reverse. The ethics piece I want to take second. The first piece is that AI and how it can become sentient. And I'm absolutely with you. You're right that you know what. The devices that we have that can speak with us. You saw me do this at a conference one time. I talked about how, you know, we used to think it was a dream world that Captain Kirk could talk to a computer and it would talk back. And that became real in Captain Jean-Luc Picard's time, right? And it's funny that you bring up data because if you remember that episode, and I'll admit it, I was a Next Generation fan, kind of became one grudgingly, but, you know, he, when, when, when it was when Riker was charged with saying, are you really sentient? And he could turn him off. He said Pinocchio's strings were cut. But that's where I'll go back to the ethics part of, I, I think the ethics have to be looked at in the same way we look at ethics today. I can turn someone off and I'm not, again, trying to be morbid, but you know, people kill people all the time. Bad things happen, right? And, and so we really have the same ethics when it comes to the ethereal world as it comes to the human world, and as they become more conjoined, and that's why I really do see it as a decade or less, and we're going to be having these debates of, can I really turn that off? No different than saying, can I do something else that's poor to humans? Does that make sense at all? It does. Where I, I guess where I would draw the distinction from my side is that, and it could be one of those things, like we just argued a little bit about the privacy issue, that our our kids are less concerned about privacy than we are, and maybe over time, future generations won't see the distinction between an AI and a human. But for most of us in the initial stages of it, we would say one is just an amalgamation of, of wires and chips and algorithms. And so turning it off doesn't really bother me. There's no, there's no problem doing it. I, I can't see an issue. Whereas turning off a human, as we said, is, is killing someone. And that obviously comes with its own set of punishment. And it's indoctrinated in our culture that that's just a bad thing to do. I mean, we obviously have laws and it's just been, our society won't work well. I mean, we're not living under the movie The Purge. So it's, it's not really, it's not, it doesn't work for a civilized society. But turning off an AI initially would be, okay, well, what is the real problem with that? Is there, it is just wires and a machine that someone built. I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't, I, I guess I'm throwing out there, I don't know how we're going to envision it. And I would like to think that we're grown up enough to say it's just wrong in general, but 2016 has taught me anything. We're really not a, really grown up at all as a society, and we, we still have a long way to go. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I, I'm not even sure if we're talking about technology anymore, interesting enough, but uh, that's, that's what I love about the conversation, right? Yeah, I, I think you make a great point. First off, let me say, I've never seen the movie The Purge or any of them, and I'm really proud to say that, and I hope somebody and maybe even my mom will hear me say that, and that'll be a good thing. Um, but at, at the end of the day, Bob, I think what you're saying is what I, – I think we're really saying the same thing, is that the struggle is going to be what – biology cannot be the only definition of something that is alive in this day and age. And, and again, I think that time is really upon us. And that's why I look at AI and see how quickly it's become something that is pervasive to our lives and where I see it just becoming so much more pervasive that it becomes this debate not about technology, really, but about what truly is thinking, what truly is a, is a higher being. And, and to your point, well, I think it's, and, and I'm not calling you myopic, but I'm saying it becomes a little myopic in thinking of if it's just because it's biological, therefore, it can be, quote unquote, shut off in a different way. I think you have to think about that of saying, you know what, we, we live in such a new age and you and I have ushered this in that you have to look at what does construct thinking and being. And that's that's the difficult part. So you're right. It's not just, hey, I turn off my TV at the end of the day. That was that was a TV. It was a stupid device. We've created intelligent devices that will continue to be more intelligent and to my earlier point will need to continue to be managed by people and what does that mean i, I don't know either so I, i'm not trying to disagree with you as much as i'm saying 
It's a great question, but I, I see it so quickly happening. I do believe, my friend, that I hope you're right that we're 30, 40 years more on this planet, but we'll, we'll see this. We'll, we'll not only see it, but we'll have these discussions of how do you say this is a managed device versus this is a managed individual? What does that mean? Yeah, that'll be interesting if someday you feel guilty for turning off your phone. Right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, think I about that. More. Like, I, I can't turn it off. It's, it's alive. So that would be an interesting concept. I mean, that's taking it to a next level, but, you know, we didn't even have these phones. When I was growing up, you get a brick phone you could carry around and slap an antenna on top of your car, but they pay $99 a minute. It was crazy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, nowadays it's, you know, your phones, they're called smartphones. They're not just called phones anymore. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, I guess all right, turning, switching gears on you a little bit, what do you think that's going to mean for the job market? Because one of the big concerns I have is I do think that technology, AI, they're all going to do a significant impact on jobs. But I also believe that there's a tremendous opportunity for job creation because we'll either be working very closely with AI, so they'll give us superpowers and we'll be able to do more or be more efficient. They'll do the things that are, I'll call more mundane and less, less interesting to, to us, where we'll be able to focus on more of the creative parts. But I'm also not naive to think that there's areas that they're just going to completely take over, like maybe transportation, because that's a heavy focus now anyway, where we have Uber, but Uber, I could see existing as a company, but will they need drivers, trucking industries, et cetera. And, and along those lines, if you're a, you have a, a daughter in college, my, my kids, my oldest is just starting high school, but where do you position? I mean, what do you think we should be telling the kids today? Hey, this is what you need to focus on to better align yourself for this AI-based future. Yeah, honestly, Bob, and again, not, not, not even because we're friends, probably one of the best questions I've, I've actually ever heard. And I think it's so important to tell everyone, and I'll go back to what I said before, embrace it. Embrace where it's going. You know, if you think about how they started creating cars, right? Everyone thought, oh my goodness, when the assembly line came around, everyone's going to be out of a job. The first time we ever heard about robotics, again, when we were kids, and it happened with my dad who worked at John Deere Dubuque Works for 40 years of his life. They started with robotics and we thought, oh, we're going to get out of it. We're going to lose more jobs. Look at our unemployment rate today. And I'm not being political about that. I'm just saying that our unemployment rate is at a historic low because there still needs for everyone to be part of this world. And that is the thing I don't see changing. So when I talk about it with our kids, with my daughter, and I hope when you talk about it with, with Stephen and Tyler, that you tell them, you know what? Embrace this. Embrace how that's going to be and become part of it. Because if you're not and you fight it, you'll be left behind. But if you embrace it, if you see that there is, you said it perfectly again, that there's a huge opportunity here. That's how things will grow. And it's continued on since well before you and I were on this earth, and it will continue well beyond when we're on this earth. And this is just the next evolution of that. That's, that's how I firmly see it. And obviously, I'm sorry, I get a little passionate there. But I think people who want to fight these things, who want to say this isn't the right way to go or become afraid of it, they're not the people who we need who need to be leaders of, of this world. Yeah. And well, I think it's inevitable that it's coming. It's it, So we can't put our heads in the sand and pretend like it's not. But it is, unfortunately, it's going to be scary for a lot of people. And while it hasn't taken over everything, and it probably hasn't had the initial impact that everyone thought it was going to have, like you said, the robots are taking over, it has impacted a, a large part of society. I mean, if you look at manufacturing... But, but, but it, I'm sorry to cut, off, cut you off, Bob, but it has. I agree. But has it impacted it negatively? I don't think it has. I just don't see it. Well, uh, yeah. And you can look at it as what part of the supply chain you're on. So if you're on the, the purchasing side, things can get done quicker, faster, cheaper. So in, in essence, prices could be lower. So the consumer can say, wow, this is great for me. If you're the guy or gal who worked in the factory for 20 years and you're suddenly out of a job, it didn't work out so well for you. And some but, people can but, be retrained, obviously. I'm sorry, that, that, that's where I guess, maybe we don't even see it differently, but I look at that and say, are they out of a job because they weren't retrained or were they out of a job because they decided not to be retrained? And I think that's 
when you say, what do you tell your kids, right? My daughter, and I'm very proud of her, so I'm going to say it, she's going to be a soccer coach and she's going to be culinary arts person, right? So she's, she's in the food service business. But when I tell her, embrace this stuff, I'm not telling her it because it's a bunch of crap. I'm telling her that because I say, you know what? Learn to be different. Learn to look at things differently. And if you don't, that's when you go. And, and again, not being political, I mean it, and you can tell me if I am, Bob, but I, I think that because we have such a low unemployment rate and yet population has continued to grow, I think the proof is in the pudding there of this is where things are going. Does that resonate at all? No, it, it does. I just think that I want to be fair to the people that were working in the industry to say, did they not want to be retrained versus, I mean, I think most people would want to try to figure out, well, how can I contribute? I need to put food on the table for my family. I do think that the fields that we're getting into are more difficult and more technically challenging. So for instance, if you're moving to a factory that has robotics, you're going to need people to do maintenance on the ro- robots. And obviously, absolutely, absolutely. I think most companies are fair-minded and they 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 don't look at layoffs or paradigm shifts as, wow, this is going to be great. I can't wait to do this to everyone who works here. I think they actually want to say, how can I structure this where I'm still leveraging the experience and the talent and the know-how of all the people that have worked here and not lose that because that's intellectual capital and tribal knowledge about my company that I really don't want to go away. And there's, there's nuance in everything you do. It's not all ones and zeros. But I do think it's beneficial to use the robots, the AI, where it is ones and zeros, because that's where they excel. You know, That's where they're best at. But then to leverage my human capital to make my business better or to make my assembly lines more practical Dare I say experience, right? Yeah, leverage that. To make the experience better. Exactly, leverage that experience. Now, the truth of it is I won't need, if I had 100 people in the line, I won't need to keep all 100 people because the robots will make it more efficient. Automation will make it more efficient. But I will need to have a core group of people to make sure that we keep that personal touch and that we're doing things right. And honestly, the people bring that creative part. That's where the learning and then the re-education of the robots and the automation to make it better. Because if you just have automation, you'll hit a wall at some point. But if you have constant creativity and constant evolution, you'll be able to grow. And so that's why I think there's an advantage there. I guess where I was going with it is that there's definitely going to be people that are impacted. I don't think everybody is eminently retrainable in a more technologically advanced society. I'll take my mother, for instance, very smart, but when it comes to technology, and it's, it's also an age group, potentially, where they didn't have the technology, that would just wouldn't be interested or just would feel overwhelmed. You know, even when I remember when we got our first VCR, and these are the old VCRs, she wanted nothing to do with it. Like, it was just, what is this thing, you know? So I think there's going to be a group of people out there that are just not tech savvy, not interested in. Now, I think that's going to become less and less because... Our kids are ridiculously tech savvy, you know, so they'll be able Absolutely. to switch. I mean, my 10 year old can do stuff that I'm just blown away. You know, I, I could have never done the things that he can do and his ability to learn about it and quickly adapt is just amazing. So, I mean, anyway, I, I, I think we're on the same page with this. completely. We are, you, I, you gave the perfect example, Bob, of, you know, the VCRs that don't even exist anymore. Right. So your mom didn't have to learn about VCRs because now if she wants to watch, which, by the way, no one should ever say anything bad about their own mother. And if you do, I'm going to come and punch you. Um, but no, I'm kidding. But uh, toothpaste I'll, out of the tube already there. There we go. There we go. But honestly, the VCR is gone and now it's about streaming. Right. And so I think your point is is truly my point that it's growing, evolving. The experience gets better at this point, almost month by month. And it's not just about our kids. And the one thing I will say that you said, well, if I had 100 people on the assembly line now, I I didn't need 100 people. Well, I didn't need 100 people before the assembly line. And yet, like I said, historically speaking, most people in this country and a lot of countries are very employed right now. And so maybe you're right that they don't want to learn that new technology when AI becomes more prevalent. But, you know, when I first started computing, and now I'm going to date myself, and I was going to make a joke out of how I started computing on stone tablets or punch cards, as you said before, but cave drawings. 
Everyone thank you for that. Even worse. Wow. Wow. You know, every time I think you can't slam me more, you just find a new way to do it. I've actually been queuing that one up for a while, waiting for the right moment. So I that appreciate was, it was that. A good, it was a good shot. It was a good call. But, you know, when we started, come on, everyone said, oh, you know, mainframes, mainframes are going to die. Mainframes are going to go away. Well, you know, no one, no one should learn about these things anymore. They've gone away. They've changed. Like I said, I started on a, a VAX system, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of technology that's still pervasive from 50 years ago. And that's where I see it as it's not even about retraining. I do think you'll always need those 100 people. And that's why I tell our kids and I can look my daughter in the eye and say, there's still always going to be 100 people that are needed to do things. And, and, and it, maybe we're just saying the same thing in a different way. You're right. We need to be creative. We need to be the thought drivers. But at the end of the day, I just I don't see AI ever replacing humans, nor humans replacing AI. I think it's a coexistence that's been coming for well over a hundred years, and and it's it's going to come together and be something that none of us could have probably ever dreamed of. Yeah, I definitely believe it's a coexistence. I mean, there right now, at least, I don't see it one without the other. It could be very different in the future, but I, I think that we complement each other. They give us superpowers we make them more efficient and they make us more efficient. So Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yep. The big the big thing is though like how do we restructure this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit but how do we restructure our education so we make sure we have employable graduates so there it's not such a big culture shock. So my first thought is, you know, critical thinking, you know, being able to be a and being able to adapt and see things from a, from multiple angles is probably one of the more important features. I mean, you and I work together and when we're looking for people, it's always not so much their individual skills, like can they program in a specific language? It's more about what are their diagnostic skills? How do they think? goes back to the critical thinking. That's more important than, oh, do you know the specific language? I mean, do you agree? Or is there, or is there some other fundamental shift that we need to do to make sure that we're producing the next gen to coin a phrase uh, to, <laughs> that we've used so many times before, the next gen of employable graduates. No, not only do I agree, Bob, I'll probably take it to where I don't even know if this is a word, but I, I over agree. And I think that we have to change how we look at the educational system. And you, you've kind of picked on a scab of mine that I've had for a while because there's I, an image for everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Technology public. scab. Let's, we have to yep. coin that one. That we do. <laughs> you know, I think one, and here's one you've heard me say, and then I'll give you one you probably haven't heard me say, is one that I say, I grew up as an analyst. And I think that's what you're talking about. Critical thinking, being analytical. I think everyone should start out being an analyst. And if you have that, it doesn't matter whether you're you know, one of your kids who's going to become a computer programmer like you, whether you're my daughter who's going to become someone who's going to bake, you need to be analytical with everything you do because you're, at the end of the day, trying to create something new. So that, that, that's, that's where I think we've always failed in our school system. And now, I think to your point, if we don't grow this and start looking at things completely differently, we have to change how we are going to look at our young people and say, this is how they'll learn. It's not, I hear about all these, you know, great phrases that people throw out there about STEM and, you know, all these things and, and whatever those things are is great, but it's not about that anymore. That's, that's actually yesterday's thinking. Tomorrow's thinking for our kids, for our education system is about how we teach them to coexist, as we said before, with this evolving, not just technology, with this evolving world. And I don't think we're doing that well. I, that, that's where I, 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 all joking aside, I, it is a scab for me. And it's, 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 a, it's an ouch moment for me because we're not looking at it correctly. And if people don't wake up and start looking at it correctly, then to your point, I think people should be afraid of what AI could become because they won't be mentally and emotionally prepared to move forward. Yeah, it's interesting because, and, and maybe it's their youth, but my kids aren't afraid of technology at all. So they embrace it wholly and completely, whether that's good or bad down the road, I don't know. Maybe they'll become more jaded, hopefully not, as they enter the workforce and if they feel like their jobs are in jeopardy, whatever they decide to do. But I'm actually a little hopeful about the younger generation in spite of the school system. So I think they embrace technology because they are immersed in it, 
whether it's through their Nintendo Switch or their iPhones or whatever they do. But I think that they're just not afraid of it. And they're just going to be, oh, wow, I can do this, I can do that, whatever industry they're in. I still, I don't think the school system will have anything to do with it, unfortunately. And I wrestle with it. I mean, I've read some books by Sir Ken Robinson, who's a big proponent, and we just have to completely revamp our school, our education system. That it was built great, great on call out, great call out. Sorry, that's a great call out. I love the, his books. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful. yeah. I mean, he, you know, our, our school system is built on an antiquated model, and it just isn't adapt. Now, in in all fairness, things have changed so much in just the last twenty years. It's really hard for monolithic organizations like school systems and even companies to some degree to change that quickly and and to know what they need to be doing next because. Th- you need to have some level of stability in an institution. You know what I mean? It can't change that quickly, that often, or people are going to go, what, what am I doing? Like, kids, especially when you're sending a kid into school, they don't want to, they need some level of stability and discipline, you know? But at the same time, I don't think right now we're doing our kids justice. I really don't. I agree. And like I said, great, great call out. I think that's progressive thinking. Reading, writing, arithmetic, you're right. That's where I, I wasn't and I hope I wasn't coming off as pandering there. I wasn't trying to say that that's not some of the cornerstones of what should always be part of what scholastics are all about. But at the end of the day, I think what you said is is kind of actually a sad statement, is that it's not our school systems aren't adapting. And maybe it is a lot, but you know what? Of all the places that should be progressive in thinking, that should be consistently changing, I think that our school system should be on the forefront of that. And unfortunately, and I won't talk about any other country because I live here, but I don't think that America has done that well enough. You know, I, I don't agree with no child left behind. I don't agree with any of these things because they're only thinking in terms of, and again, a perfect word used, monolithic systems, instead of thinking in terms of we should be the most progressive in this area of anybody. Forget where you're at. It just you should always be the most progressive in the school systems. And so the fact that they've become so monolithic and so myopic in their thinking, it saddens me. And again, what you said is is spot on, Bob, is that our kids have progressed instead of it, instead of because of it. And that's why I think that that needs to be one of the biggest focuses of anyone in politics. I don't care who it is, but somebody needs to address that. I think between that and another one that you mentioned before of healthcare, those are our two biggest areas that technology needs to be embraced and focused on rather than being one that some people are made to be afraid of. Yeah, and I actually I think the healthcare industry is the one industry that's able to kind of work in its own little vacuum in advance. I mean, the technologies that are out there and how they're able to leverage AI to even to have imagery to detect cancer or to better detect moles that could be cancerous. And even neural networks are designing now that help determine if someone's depressed by the way they speak. So to me, medical industry is unbelievably advanced compared to the rest of us and our focus. And I I do, I mean, I hate sitting here bashing the education system because in some ways we're still struggling with getting basic literacy in certain areas, like just helping people to just be able to graduate high school. So how do we, if we can't get that, we're never going to get, all right, we're going to prepare you for the next phase of what the world's going to look like. So we, we're so far behind. And in terms of government, you know, our government is so mired in petty bullshit, really, that we can't get our heads out of our asses enough to, to focus on what's important and preparing us for what's coming next. I mean, China is planning long-term to be the number one player in AI. And now they have a they have ways to make sure that that happens for them. <laughs> they have ways of they making have way, this happen? Is yeah, they have ways saying? to yeah. make, make that a focus. <laughs> but for even for us, I mean, like, we're just focused on petty stuff on our side. So until we get a government that's willing to focus on the important things in society versus the pettiness of the politics that's happened over the past couple of years, I don't think that, that we're, we're going to have any the government's not going to have any real impact on where we go. I think it's going to be industry and the bigger companies like a Google, like a Tesla, like a Microsoft, and even the, some of the smaller robotic firms that are really going to play a big role. But 
my personal opinion is that education is going to change from a sense of, there's going to be a, a lot more homeschooling and that homeschooling is going to be based on AI. So AI, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. We're, we're actually saying the exact same thing. So let me first step back to healthcare because you're right. When I would talk about healthcare before, I think they are, I think the healthcare industry is one of the most progressive places that has come around. They've adapted to the times. They've actually pushed the times. When I was talking about healthcare, I was more so talking about it that is just not affordable to everyone. And that's nothing to do with even dollars, right? But I think that from a technology standpoint, from an AI perspective, they have pushed the envelope and actually created new envelopes. And so I, I salute that, that industry and all that they've done. Even from an experience perspective, right? They've become so much more tangible from every person perspective of they know who you are, they know how to deal with you. School systems, what you said, I'm going to say it just maybe a little different, maybe even not that different, but schools need to completely change. We can't think about schools like they were before. When you said what you said, Bob, of, well, you know, they don't know how to, you know, we just got to get people through through high school and we can't even do these basic things. It's because maybe those basic things shouldn't be being done anymore is my point. And that's why I'm not, I'm not as much bashing on the school system as saying, you know what? Let's get some people involved in the school system who think differently and can look at it like the companies that you talked about who have changed our world physically and and technologically, right? Google's, Apple's, Microsoft, they've changed our world. And we need the same thing from our school system. And it's it's somehow fallen behind even healthcare, which was pretty staunchy, right? I, I think our school systems, maybe I'll dare to say it have fallen behind our financial institutions. I think they've outperformed them from a technology and a progressive perspective. So I think that is totally core and why some people are so afraid of what AI can and will be because it's not being thought about at the right levels within our school system. I'm sorry if I'm preaching a little bit there, Bob, but that's just, I think it's so important and that that's the, the crux of our conversation today. If they don't start adapting then to your point, people will be afraid of of what this new revolution is going to continue to be of our world and our thinking, and it will create nothing but more nothing but more conflict, and it shouldn't. No, I agree, and I think that's a, a perfect spot to to wrap up our conversation because I, there's going to have to be a lot of change that's going to be fundamental to make things better on the educational side, on the job side, on on the governmental side to just prepare everyone, just the country, the military, everything, for what the next level will look like. And right now, we're, we're just not there. I mean, I'm sh- there are people working on it, but I just don't think it's, it's a big enough focus. And it's going to take years, years for us to catch up. I, I, just, I worry about the kids coming out of school and, and how the job market is going to be for them and if they're going to be able to get jobs in the industry that they wanted to because – they're just not going to be ready for the adaptive nature of the workplace anymore. And that's probably what's going to cause more problems. You know, we've been talking about that, you know, that we're going to be working side by side with AI, but it may end up being that it's not the business that's failed the workers. It's that our education system failed them. That's right. And that's right. Now they have no place to go. And then it'll be, the burden will be on the business through government subsidies or tax credits to retrain people the way they need to be trained. And that seems what, if you think about it, that's kind of what's happened is that businesses have taken on the job of, of educating people or re-educating people because we haven't done it well in the school system, which is a really, it's a really, it's sad to think about it that way. Is it sad? I don't know. Maybe well, it is. It is because you've spent all that time in school and you have to then become re-educated. And then it also comes down to what biases are injected in, so, you know, if, if, and I want to pick on Amazon, but Amazon says, oh, we'll sponsor this in, in school X, Y, and Z. Now you're, you're going to get, you have to make sure that, you know, you're being taught a broad base and not exactly, you're not kicking out Amazon reps. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So right. it's great that they'll throw money at stuff, but it's like, we still need it to be more a democratized educational system. But maybe that's the answer is that bigger companies step in and say, we're going to inject enormous amounts of money into school systems because you're just not producing the people we need. 
Well, that's, and I think you're probably right. This is a, a great point to wrap on, but I will say you just made a fantastic point in maybe a little bit not perfectly center kind of a way. And what I mean by that is that it can't be businesses that run schools because they will have too many biases. But what it can be is schools, and don't take me literally here, schools that are run by business, meaning business is what we're all about. And so we need to grow people to be part of a business community. And that's where I say, don't take me too literal. That can be anything, right? That's considered business world, not just Google, not just Amazon. These these places are great, but our school system has so greatly lagged behind these innovation organizations that somebody, and, and I don't know who that is, quite frankly, and, and I'm sad that I don't have that answer. I think that's the sorry part about the whole thing when you say that is I don't know who has the answer, but the answer has to be, first, you got to ask the question, then you can get the answer, right? And it has to be thought about of why is our school not an innovation organization? And that's why I think wrapping back up to our our AI discussion, Bob, is that people will always be afraid of AI because they're not coming up through innovation organizations like an Amazon, like a Google, like a Microsoft, an Apple, you name it. But they can't, you're right, they can't run it, but they have to be the model that changes it because that's not just the employee of tomorrow, that is the person of tomorrow, if that makes any sense at all. That's how I really strongly, obviously believe in that. No, I agree. I mean, it's, We've got a lot of challenges ahead of us, and it's just uh, that's why I wanted to start having these conversations with people. And hopefully, we'll reach a, a wider audience, and people will start thinking about what the future might look like, and start asking their congressmen, their their schools, to hey, we need to start changing. We need to start changing now, and be much more aggressive. That's the goal. That's what I'm trying to I'm trying well, to reach it, a broader it, audience. So you know, Bob, if nothing else, I'll tell you this. Number one, as always, I I've always loved our conversations, and you've known that for a long time. But in, in all sincerity, my friend, maybe we won't reach anyone with this. I don't know if this podcast will go to just you and me. Maybe hopefully our wives and kids might listen to it as well if we make them. But seriously, we've asked. We're asking the right questions, and I think what you're doing makes a ton of sense. And if there's any help I can give to it, you just let me know. But this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, and you know what? You nailed it there. It's it's about asking the right questions and to start probing. That's what we're trying to do. And it's really not about the number of people you reach. It's about who you reach. That's right. And that could be that could be critical. But I I thank you for your time, sir. It's been a great conversation. And hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Let's see if we can reach more than uh, you and me next time. We'll get maybe three people or something. I don't know. It's great. Thanks, Bob. All right. Well, you have a great day. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was fun talking to Bart, and I can't wait to do this again next week. Hope you enjoyed it as well. Follow us on Twitter at SocietyWire, and you can email me at bob at SocietyWire.net. Give me your feedback. Tell me what topics you'd like to hear, or even people you think would be interesting for me to interview. Again, I thank you for joining us and I'll see you next week.